And we're back with another red eye. Last week, we messed up everybody. We forgot to record when we did this. We only had me, not V. So uh, we didn't get to put out the episode, but we are back as usual every week. We don't miss except when we're dumb. Um, V, man, how's how's it going? You're in New York this week? Yeah, I'm going to be spending time in my old stomping grounds, obviously. Uh, I love whenever I get a chance to come to New York and the fact that I don't live here anymore. But spending a week out here absorbing the energy of the city um, gets you inspired and gets you going um, and motivating whatever else you have going when you when you get back to your uh, to your home base. It's it's always great to spend a few days here. Yeah, it's like one of those cities that I feel like I can get maybe like three days, four days, and then I'm just like, all right, let me go back to some greenery and some quiet. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people here, when they say it's the city that never sleeps, I mean, that's literally the case at like five this morning, I'm hearing people arguing in the the street from my (laughs) hotel room, so... Um, but it's definitely something you appreciate when you are, uh, when you, um, when you come here and just appreciate the fact that the place never sleeps. And if you need to get something done, you can do it at any hour of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we got a few topics going on. Why don't we start with the NBA finals, which are now tied one, one, uh, pretty exciting game two, honestly, game one was, was kind of a blowout. It fell uh, by the Nuggets all the way through. It got kind of close near the end, but it never really felt close as a viewer. Game two was crazy. Game two was like the most topsy-turvy, insane game I've watched. And I am so proud of the Heat for sticking it through. But I mean, they almost they almost lost that. If that went to overtime, the Nuggets clearly had the momentum and, and could have taken that game as well. So Miami gets to go back home with the split. It's not like they've really had a huge home court advantage. I believe they've actually lost the majority of the games they've had at home in the playoffs. So kind of an interesting dynamic here, but it does turn this into a series now, something that I think a lot of people felt would probably be a sweep. You said you'll give Jimmy one game, you'll spot him one, and you're calling Nuggets in five. Um, I, I, I will say that Denver did play pretty bad game two, and it looked like they lost a little bit of focus there. If there are mental lapses, again, this series could easily go the other way. And I think that's the fun part about this level of basketball this year. And um, both of these teams, I think, are, are if one makes a mistake, the other will capitalize from a mental standpoint. And it's just nice to see teams that you know aren't throwing in the towel here, that are, that are really going at it every night. We saw Jokic do some amazing things. We, we've seen so many players do amazing things. I mean, this is this is what you what you want as an NBA fan, and yet the viewership numbers are down from the previous series. So, you know, to the conspiracy theorists, like, yes, like this is not as profitable for the, for the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you also have to factor in the fact that uh, the NBA draws a global audience, so you can't just look at the U.S. numbers when you factor in the number of people tuning in in China and Serbia and. 
all the countries that players on both teams are are from, um, the numbers don't tell a misleading story. And I think this is typically like what mainstream media does is they shit on the NBA ratings. Um, and there are reasons why they do that, uh, that are beyond just, uh, just the fact that they're covering the sport. Um, but I think it is, you know, regardless of the ratings, the sport draws in the people who are supposed to be watching the games. I think a series like this doesn't draw in like casual fans, seven game series. Also, if you're just like a casual sports fan, you can tune in for the Super Bowl, And most people who go to Super Bowl parties aren't even watching the games. But when you have to actually make the commitment to watch multiple games, you have to really be an avid fan of the sport. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's just the reality of, of these things. And then you have two teams um, that aren't in major, major media markets too. But overall, I mean, what I'm seeing from this series is, to touch on your point, is you're seeing a, a lack of mental focus from the Denver Nuggets, uh, specifically in the role players. Like Michael Porter Jr., I don't know what he's doing on the court, but he doesn't. Look, he looks lost. The guys that I'm seeing the effort from are, you know, Aaron Gordon, Jokic, uh, Murray, and Jeff Green. You know, Contavious Caldwell Pope. Um, we were we were praising him, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but he single handedly lost the game. When you look at the point differential, making two idiotic fouls um, in situations that he didn't need to, um, that cost his team six points at the free throw line. Um, the difference in the game was three points. So these mental lapses, the Heat are a team that if it's a talent competition and you're focused, the Denver Nuggets are going to run all over them. But if their players don't show up, the Heat will take advantage because they are coached extremely well um, and their players are all focused and believe that they're going to win despite um, despite the talent differential that that's clear on the court. Also, I think, the Heat were brilliant in their strategy in game two, which is like, we'll let Jokic score, but we're not going to let him be a facilitator. And that's really a, a, a troubling thing because there aren't a whole lot of guys on the Heat, I mean, on the on the Nuggets outside of Jamal Murray who can truly create their own shot. They're relying on the, the, the creation skills of, of Jokic and, and Murray to get it done. Um, and so the Heat just fell back and and allowed that allowed allowed Jokic to do his thing but really shut down Jamal Murray for most of the game didn't allow him to get off and the other guys and in addition the biggest issue that the heat i mean that the heat are presenting the nuggets is on the defensive side of the ball um if the nuggets allow the heat to continue to to hit have wide open made baskets that allows them to get back into their zone defense um and once they get into the zone defense and they're able to have the time to set it up that becomes problematic however if if they play good defense and are forcing the heat to miss shots and not get second chance points then the heat are forced to go into more of a one-on-one defensive scheme and the Nuggets will eat that apart. So this all comes back to are the Nuggets going to do what they need to do on the defensive side of the ball? The Heat team should not be scoring 111 points. They don't have the firepower, but if you allow guys 
to have wide open shots, they're going to hit them. And so, and despite all that, the Nuggets only lost by three points, which again shows you the talent differential, but they need to just get mentally focused um, and, and, and get, get this first game in Miami. If Miami gets the first game, the Nuggets are in a world of trouble. Yeah. Really, really well said here. Um, moving it forward. Uh, this is some breaking news that I just saw come out in the last couple minutes while we were talking. Um, it looks like the PGA stopped feuding with the live golf tour and just announced a partnership uh, for the European tour uh, and the, and the live golf tour. So looks like that feud, the golf feud between the two leagues is, uh, is getting patched up here. Pretty impactful, man. I did. I honestly didn't expect to see the PGA settle so quickly, but I mean, they've been losing a lot of money as a result of this. I mean, money talks, bullshit walks, right? <laughs> so any sort of like uh, uh, moral issues that the PGA tour has with, a Saudi backed league um, seems to have been solved, obviously, in this situation. I'm sure the Saudi uh, Sports Federation, I think that's what they're called, right? Yes. I don't know what they're called, but um, they probably threw a bunch of money at the PGA and said, hey, either, either join us or we'll conquer you. And uh, I think the PGA was like, I think we want to continue, uh, continue. Uh, making lots of money. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was, a, it was the right decision um, pro- from a financial standpoint, obviously, um, and a competitive standpoint, getting all the golfers the one under one umbrella, but it is going to be interesting to see what happens now that the live tour doesn't have to throw ridiculous sums of money to get guys to join their tour. I wonder how that's all going to get sorted out and what the fate of one Greg Norman is going to be, who has a history of beef with the PGA um, and was kind of the director of this, this live golf, what the settlement will be in terms of what they do with him. Totally. Um, something else that, uh, that is pretty interesting here going on is that Apple um, yesterday unveiled its first AR headset, the Apple vision pro and it's basically like this headset that you can put on and you you can like have virtual screens and you can use your apps and stuff, but it doesn't completely block you from the real world. So, you know, this is in the in the box of augmented reality. Bro, I think this is probably the first time that I've looked at an Apple product and been like so lame. Like I can't I cannot imagine a world where I'm wearing a headset to get my work done. But you know, then again at the same time, like that's probably what it's going to be five years from now. Like, will they even make monitors in 20 years? Will they even like, you know, make televisions or will we just put on the headset and have the experience that we're looking for? Yeah. I mean, it seems like the whole headset thing is a bridge to the future, not necessarily the future. Um, so what was really stood out to me about this is the price point that Apple has set for their product, which is, is, you know, exponentially higher than the price of the MetaQuest and and the Sony VR headsets. Um, But I mean, if somebody is going to do it right, it's probably going to be Apple. Um, And I'm I'm withholding judgment. The price point is really, really intimidating to, to want to charge folks 3,500, which is probably the cost of, you know, two and a half, three MacBook pros. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, um, 
it's interesting. I want to see why they why that price point is is where it's at. And I think with most things, Apple, I mean, I think they are going to do a great job of marketing and then also developing products and obviously tying it seamlessly into all of our Apple devices to make it attractive for us um, to use and to also implement. Um, But it seems like they really do not, by setting the price point, they're not trying to get the whole market. They're trying to get a very small piece of the market here um, with this product. And then I think eventually uh, develop into a powerhouse player here. But, you know, as with most things, Apple, the, the true Apple heads don't give a damn about the price. They'll buy it just because they want to be the first to have it. Yeah, so. exactly. And I mean, like, I think the thing for me that that's always like questionable about augmented reality or VR is like, what is the impact it's having on your eyes? And right now, even monitors and, and phone screens and stuff, not great for your eyes, but at least with the monitor, I'm able to very naturally kind of focus on other things. And I get that it's a clear screen. So theoretically I should be able to do that, but I think that's what that's what kind of susses me out about it is that you're focusing on something that I mean it's so close to your eyes like the studies on VR just show that it it just demolishes you. So, you know, I think that's going to be the big question, but I agree with you that the headset is just one step on the way to where we're going and there's going to be some sort of new way that they create these screens. I think the other thing that stood out to me is like the they showed like people like using their fingers, like touching their fingers to be able to control this and I I think like we're getting rid of keyboards and mouses and these gestures that we can do with our arms and hands and stuff just become intuitive and control the screens. That is the future. And that's what Apple does such a great job of to your point is just really understanding people and understanding how they want to interact with things and helping to build that bridge. Yeah. I mean, I have a meta quest. I've used it a handful of times. I thought I was going to use it a lot more when I got it as a Christmas gift. Um, It is different, right? My eyes are already already bad. I've had glasses since I was 16 years old. So I don't know how much more damage I can do, but that's what you bring up a very interesting point um, in regards to that. And I think it's important. I don't, as with a lot of things, the reason I haven't gotten LASIK surgery yet is there isn't truly long-term studies on it, right? Now that I'm a little bit older, I'll probably get it. But you know, when it, when it first hit the market, you know, probably, 15 to 20 years ago when it really became a thing, there were no real long-term studies on it. Like what happens 30 years post LASIK surgery, right? Um, I think it's the same thing with this, the VR headsets, um, really understanding not just what it's doing to your eyes, but also having that much, you know, electricity and stuff focused on your head potential brain tumor issues, other things, um, that it could be creating too, um, that'll be interesting to see what the studies on that are. Um, in addition, I mean, now that we're talking about it, you know, the, the hype last week was that Elon got approval to um, start studies on his Neuralink transmitter in your brain. And I think that's where we're headed. We're going to be a bunch of robots who, you know, have a chip chip in us uh, that tell us what to do. I mean, again, if we're willing to put it into our pets and dogs, I guess we shouldn't be hesitant to put it into ourselves, but this is the future. I mean, how much of our personal decision-making and our activities are going to be dictated by what we feel and what we want to do versus having a processor or a headset tell us what to do. Yeah, exactly. 
And to your point, like, bro, I don't even use the AirPods. I got rid of my AirPods a couple years back because I didn't like the fact that they send the signal through your brain. I just, I was just sussed out by that. So I'll be the last person putting a chip in my brain, to be honest. But I think like it's going to, it's going to be one of those things that like gets so ubiquitous. It's like, it's going to be hard not to do it. It's going to be hard to do business without having that type of stuff in the future. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the people who are really going to win on this are all the chip makers out here. So, uh, stock tip. Frito-Lay. Frito-Lay. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, um, the other story that's like been buzzing is, um, about the NFL. It's actually sports betting related in the NFL. So this came out just today that Ron Rivera just went through a PowerPoint presentation with players about the consequences of betting on games. And the reason he had to do this is because right now there are several NFL players that have been banned for betting on games. Last year, we saw the Falcons receiver. Um, is it Ridley? Yep. Get, get a significant ban for sports betting. And these guys are not betting big dollar amounts, but I think it brings into question with the expansion of sports betting as such a big part of both the NBA and NFL with these sports betting brands becoming huge sponsors and with uh, the collective bargaining agreement changes happening in leagues, allowing players to now invest in sports betting platforms and things like that. They're doing that on the NBA side. The NFL will likely be soon to follow. You know, I think first and foremost, what does that mean for the integrity of the game? And secondly, like what is so hard about not betting as a pro athlete? Well, I mean, it's the larger, you know, the macro level issue here is the normalization of gambling, right? Like it was for many, many years, it was, it was looked at the same way as, you know, alcoholism, you know, drugs, they were all in the same categories, right? Drugs, alcohol, gambling, you know, there's a gamblers anonymous, the, the effects on people's families, on their livelihood are very similar to any other addiction, and it is highly addictive. It is something that if you get into, you will be addicted to. I don't know any one of my friends who sports gambles, who doesn't do it consistently. Yeah. Right. And then having these apps on your plat on your phone, again, the accessibility, making it readily accessible. In addition to the constant marketing and media attention, you're seeing all the celebrities, you're seeing all the former athletes, um, promoting these different sports betting platforms, right? And sports books. So if you're a young athlete who didn't grow up in that era, it's like, it's almost like you really need to know what's wrong with doing it, right? Like, why can't I do it? Especially if you're not betting on your own games, especially if you're not betting on, um, you're betting on sports outside of the sport that you play. But the problematic side of this is, the dark underbelly. There is so much, so much at stake here. The financial ramifications are so high now and even higher now with how normalized it's become the number of platforms and the growth of the dollar amounts that the reason that they need to keep players away from it is to make sure the game isn't compromised because sports betting the moment that it's found to be compromised and the matches are fixed, the things that players are compromised by the bets that they're making or the money that's owed, that becomes a dangerous, dangerous, slippery slope. As we like to always say, 
um, that needs to be avoided. And I think it's, a, it's not about the dollar amounts. You would think from the Calvin Ridley suspension, that's why they made the suspension as severe as it was. It was interesting that this year's suspensions from the Lions players, only some of them didn't receive as significant of a punishment as Ridley did. But it's scary, man. It's scary to understand and look at our society. It scares me to see how much everything is being normalized, right? Yeah. Like in, in high schools and middle schools, like there are middle schoolers and fifth and sixth graders dealing drugs in, in America. It's normalized. It's same thing with alcohol. Same thing with, with everything. It's like we, we have this push to legalize everything and not just legalize it, legalize it without barriers to entry. And that's the scary part. I'm a proponent of free will, but I think it's very scary when things get normalized because I know personally that third and fourth graders who have their parents draft Kings apps, who are betting on games, playing fantasy, betting fantasy on there as well. It's, it's definitely a scary, scary um, industry yeah. and situation that we're in. Yeah, really, really well said, bro. I mean, honestly, I think like there is there is a lot of risk right now for the loss of values in this country. And America really drives the world too. Um, you see all of the, you know, it's like masters talk about equality and rights, but it's like the talk about equality and rights can easily turn into like pr- promoting and pushing things that, you know, we don't really need to be doing to be healthy, happy people. And I think it's like, it's like towing this line between obviously we shouldn't be creating laws that punish people for having character traits that are different from the norm. Like you should be able to be who you want, but at the same time we shouldn't be like promoting lifestyle decisions or life decisions in general that lead to unhappiness because we know that these things don't actually work. And it's like our society, like, if there's been a point that's that we've been further from God, I haven't seen it further from spirituality. I haven't seen it. And I think like, that's, you know, that's kind of the missing piece. And it, it, it along those lines, like I also kind of want to put out the PSA, like we're in this era right now of tremendous, like news kind of BS because we got an election coming up next year. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to mention that too, is like, you're you're gonna get yeah i think we say this every year right around this time but you're gonna start to get a lot of people hitting you up news wise notification wise trying to make you feel angry and emotional and take one side or the other and i think the thing to just remember through this is like both sides are right both sides are wrong in one way or another on almost every single issue and let's just like have that that temperance to say well you should be able to do what you want. You you have the freedom to be who you want. And at the same time, like what someone else does shouldn't be forced onto everybody else, whether you're a minority or majority. It's the same kind of principle, but it's like we're just stuck in this conversation going back and forth about who we want to be as a country. And I just think it's everyone's individual choice, what kind of life they want to live. And, and you know, we have to fight for everyone's ability to be themselves, whether we agree or disagree with them. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, there's a reason why, you know, and and people say, well, you know, you should be allowed to do whatever you want. I do think when you understand how human beings develop too, I do like the age restrictions, setting them at 21, 18 for different things. You know, you know, there's a reason why that's set as adulthood, 
right? Um, you are learning and going through the process. And a lot of these young NFL players, they haven't matured yet to fully understand the ramifications and consequences of their decisions. And that's the reason that these guys are sports betting, you know, um, because they don't really know. Nobody's really educating. If they were educated on the consequences of this thing and the fact that, do you think Calvin Ridley would have sports bet if he was going to lose his entire $15 million salary for a year? No, I don't think he would have done it. You know, but I think there's there's got to be some accountability from the NFL's perspective, too. This isn't just fall on the players. You need to set the standards and educate players, teams on what's legal, what's not legal, what can be done, what can't be done, what are the consequences going to be. By just punishing them after the fact, I mean, that's not the only solution here. Guys will find a way to do it, whether it's through a friend because of how accessible it is. How are you going to track if, if they're betting through one of their friends? You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's just the, the reality of the situation is if they want to do it, they can It's just about not getting caught. And that, that can't really be it because sports betting as a, as a platform will be compromised if, if any of these sites are found to have compromised players or if there's any sort of match fixing going on, it, it can destroy the whole industry. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think, you know, that's, that's like the biggest concern these days. Like when you see, like we saw Eric Lewis and, and the burner account with the Twitter and stuff like that's been on the NBA side of things recently. It's like everybody wants to like build the narrative that these games are being influenced. And like as a league, you have to work extra hard to show that things are happening fairly because you know, everybody's in this conspiracy age where they see the dollars, they see the opportunity that these leagues have and the incentives that the the leagues have. And you know, when the outcomes happen that are the most financially profitable, you know, consistently, I think it causes people to really question um, the fairness of the sport in general, especially, you know, with, with um, the way these things have been governed. And I agree with you. It's like, the players are a symptom of the league embracing yeah. sports betting so rapidly. And this could have been a more thoughtful rollout. Like there were the legal kind of changes across the country very quickly over a few years. And and there was just so much money put into sports. Um, so much of that same circle that owns the teams was getting money from the betting companies as well. So it was to their incentive to connect the dots. And you just see, you just see the effect of that. And it's not the players who should be punished. The, the fact that they can just download an app onto their phone and, you know, they'll get free money to bet with as a result of that. Like, you know, what are, what are we really doing here is, and is it any different than the FTX stuff? Yep. Yep. We'll see how all this plays out. You know, we had a lot of interesting developments happening, um, in the world of, of sports technology. Um, but you know, as we always say with all these things, you know, educate yourself, you know, um, always, always stay moving. And part of staying moving is continuing to embrace and understand new things. Um, but then always consistently being you and knowing how to adapt and use all of these stimuli to make sure that you're using them in a way that fits you and your lifestyle. Um, and with that said, you know, be you, you as fly, proud boys, out. Yeah, boys.